Chapters thirty and thirty one of Rose Mather, a tale by Mary Jane Holmes. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirty Arthur and Maud. Tom Carleton was able to start on his journey westward. Twice he had left his room and joined the family below, making himself so agreeable and adapting himself so nicely to all the judge's crotchets that the old man confessed to a genuine liking for the Yankee rascal and expressed himself as unwilling to part with him he had inquired into his family history and to his infinite delight found that the elder carleton tom's father was the very lawyer whose speech years ago had been instrumental in sending back to bondage the judge's runaway negro hetty's husband whose grave was out by the garden wall and whose wife and sons had rendered so different a service to the lawyer's son tom's face was scarlet when he thought of the difference and remembered how his father had worked to prove that the master was entitled to his property wherever it was found the judge suspected the nature of his thoughts and with a forced laugh said good-humouredly you are more of an abolitionist than your father was i see well well young man times change and we change with them old man carleton did me a good turn for seth was worth two thousand dollars i never abused him nor gave him a blow when i got him back i only asked him how he liked freedom as far as he had gone and he didn't answer he seemed broke down like and in less than a year he died he was the best hand i ever had more'n half white i cried when he died i'll be hanged if i didn't i told him to live and i'd set him free and when i see how his eyes lighted up i made out his papers on the spot and brought em to him and he died with em in his hand held so tight we could scarcely get em out and i had em buried with him in his coffin thank you masser god bless you for letting me die free but it's come too late i would worked for you masser all the same if you'd done this before i wanted to be a man and not a thing a brute you have been kind to me masser thank you thank you for liberty these are seth's very words i got em by heart and i said them so much that i began to wonder if freedom wasn't better than slavery but bless you my niggers was about all i had i couldn't give em up though i used to go out to seth's grave and think how he hugged the papers to the last and wonder if the clause all men are born free and equal didn't mean the blacks but the pesky war broke out and drove all this from my head i hate the yankees i hate lincoln i hate the whole union army though i'll be blamed if i can hate you got a wife eh he turned abruptly to his guest who had listened with so breathless interest to the story of poor seth that he did not see maud de vere her eyes shining and her cheeks flushed as if she were under some strong excitement between herself and arthur there had been a long conversation concerning captain tom carleton and other matters of greater interest to maud the john camp ruse had succeeded well and maud had a fancy for making it do still more by taking her patient in safety as far as her uncle haverill's she had received several letters from her uncle urging her to come home and in a week at most she was going as one who had been expressly sent as her escort mr carleton would of course go with her and in order to make the journey with perfect safety she would have arthur go too and it was of this that she had spoken to him that morning when she found him in a little summer-house at the rear of the long garden there was a dark shadow on arthur's face as he listened to maud's proposition and when she had finished speaking he replied i intend to go with you provided i'm not ordered back to the army but maud i will not have that yankee soldier hanging on to us 
we have done that for him which imperils our lives and now that he is able to go on let him take his chance alone if he is one half as keen as yankees think themselves to be he will get through unharmed no i won't have him in our way but think of the dangers to be encountered the hordes of guerrillas which infest the mountains maud pleaded and in her earnestness she laid both her hands on arthur's shoulders and stood leaning over him maud de vere and arthur spoke very decidedly why are you so much interested in this man tell me and tell me truly too have you learned to care for him more than you would for a common soldier had such a one come to you as a runaway yankee if you have maud and arthur's face was white with determination if you have by the heavens above us i'll put a bullet through him myself or worse than that send him back to where he came from that would be an act worthy of a turnbridge and a southern gentleman maud said bitterly and something in her tone warned arthur that he had gone too far so changing his tactics he said more gently sit here beside me maud and listen to what i have to say you know that i have loved you ever since i knew the meaning of the word and it is not in my nature to give up what my heart is set upon you have refused me but that does not matter i want you for my wife i must have you for my wife i know you are my superior and i am willing it should be so you can fashion me into anything you like i have screened and hidden and lied for that yankee carleton just to gratify you and when i first consented to act the traitor's part i supposed he was most likely some coarse ignorant bore but he is not returning health shows him to be a well-bred gentleman and decidedly good-looking so much so that i have been jealous of him maud not knowing to what your strange opinions might lead you you know of course he has a wife dropped scornfully from maud's lips and arthur started quickly no maud i did not know it how came you by the knowledge did he tell you so not directly but when he was out of his head or asleep he talked of rose and annie and mary and he called the latter his wife that is the way i know maud said and arthur's face cleared at once forgive me maud i was a fool to be jealous of him and now let us come to a final understanding you have laughed at and browbeaten and queened it over me for years but i have never despaired of winning you at last once for all then will you be my wife i must have you i cannot be denied arthur was in earnest now and his pleadings were eloquent with the love he felt for the girl who listened in silence and then said to him arthur it cannot be i should make you very unhappy we do not agree in any one point but we will agree i promise to conform to your opinions in everything i'll guide this man to tennessee and give myself in future to the work of saving and helping the entire yankee army i'll be a second dan ellis if you like i'll do anything but take the oath to the union i've sworn to stand by the other side i cannot break my word even for you maud maud did not like him less for that last there was southern fire in her heart as well as his and southern blood in her veins and though she clung to the old flag there were moments when she felt a flush of pride in her misguided brothers who fought so like heroes and believed so heartily in their cause say maud arthur continued will you be my wife if i will do all this think how many lives i might save and how much suffering relieve there are so many chances where i could do good for no one would suspect me give me some hope maud speak to me 
she was sitting with her face buried in her hands as many another maiden has sat counting the cost all her life long arthur turnbridge had followed her with his love till she was tired of the contest nothing she had ever said disheartened him no rebuff however severe had availed to keep him quiet she knew he loved her and perhaps she might in time love him it would make the old judge and his wife so happy while charlie liked arthur so much other people liked him too he was very popular and she well knew that she was envied by many a proud maiden for the attentions of the agreeable lieutenant turnbridge besides if arthur pledged himself to help the escape of prisoners he would keep his word and so through her much good might be done and hearts made happy perhaps others had willingly sacrificed their lives for their country and why should she shrink from sacrificing her happiness if by it so many lives could be saved was it not her duty to cast self aside and think only of the suffering she could relieve with arthur as her ally maud was selling herself for her country and with one great throb of bitter pain she said at last i will deal frankly with you arthur as i always have you are not disagreeable to me i like you very much as a friend i miss you when you are away and i am glad when you come back still you are not just what i have imagined my future husband to be i like you for the good i know there is in you and i may learn to love you i shall lead you a horrid life if i do not for it is not in my nature to affect what i do not feel if i cannot love you i shall learn to hate you and that will be terrible she was looking at him now and though he winced a little beneath the blazing eyes she looked so grand so beautiful that foolish youth as he was he fancied her hate would be preferable to losing her and so he said go on maud i am not afraid of the hatred if you always look as you do now something like contempt leaped to her eyes then but she put it aside and continued i will promise only on conditions you shall see this mr carleton safely to my uncle paul's you shall befriend and help every runaway you chance to find you shall relieve every suffering union soldier when an opportunity occurs you shall use your influence for the prisoners and seek to ameliorate their wretched condition if you do this arthur and do it faithfully when the war is over i will try to answer yes are you satisfied it was a very one-sided affair and arthur knew it but love for maud de vere was the strongest passion of which he was capable and he answered i am satisfied and he kissed the cold hand which maud placed in his and thought what a regal creature he had won and thought too how implicitly he would keep the contract even if it involved a giving up of jefferson davis himself into the enemy's hands thirty one maud and tom it was then that maud left him and went back to the house where standing in the door she scanned the face and person of the man for whose safety in part she had pledged her heart and hand tom's tout ensemble was good and there was about him a certain air of grace and culture which showed itself in every movement a stranger would have trusted him in a moment and recognized the true manhood in his expressive face and maud recognized it as she never had before and the contrast between him and arthur struck her plainfully if arthur were more like him i could love him better she thought just as the judge asked the abrupt question you have a wife eh of course he has maud thought and still she listened for the answer my wife died some years ago before the war broke out she was a mary williams a near relative of the williamses of charleston perhaps you know them know em i'll bet i do the finest family in the state 
and you married one of them the old judge said his manner indicating an increased respect for the man who had married a williams of charleston maud knew the family too or rather knew of them and remembered how some years before when she was at st mary's she had heard a charleston young lady speaking of a mrs carleton from boston who had recently died and whose husband had been so kind and patient and tender and was the most perfectly splendid-looking man she ever saw maud remembered this last distinctly because it had called forth a reproof from the teacher who had overheard it and who asked what kind of a man the most perfectly splendid-looking one could be maud had not thought of that incident in years but it came back to her now as she stood close to the man who had been so kind and tender to his sick dying wife he would be all that she knew for his manner was so quiet and grave and gentle and then a great throb of pain swept over maud de vere as she thought of arthur and the pledge she had given him maud could not analyse her feelings or understand why the knowing who tom carleton was and that he was also free should make the world so desolate all of a sudden and blot out the brightness of the summer day which had seemed so pleasant at its beginning i did it in part for him she said feeling that in spite of her pain there was something sweet even in such a sacrifice she was still standing in the door when tom turning a little more toward his host saw her his face lighting up at once and the smile which made him so handsome breaking out about his mouth and showing his fine teeth ah miss de vere take this seat and with that well-bred politeness so much part of his family he arose and offered her his chair but maud declined it and took a seat instead upon a little camp-stool near to the vine-wreathed columns of the piazza it was very pleasant there that morning and maud sitting against that background of green leaves made a very pretty picture in her pink cambric wrapper trimmed with white white pendants in her ears and a bunch of sweet-scented heliotrope in her hair and at her throat where the smooth linen collar came together and tom enjoyed the picture very much from the crown of satin hair to the high-heeled slipper with its bright ribbon rosette it was not a little slipper like those which used to be in tom's dressing-room in boston when mary was alive nor yet like the fairy things which rose mather wore nothing about maud de vere was small but everything was admirably proportioned she wore a seven glove and she wore a four boot she measured just twenty-five inches around the waist and five feet six from her head to her feet and weighed one hundred and forty a perfect amazon she called herself but tom did not think so he knew she was a large type of womanhood but she was perfect in form and feature and he would not have had her one whit smaller than she was neither did he contrast her with any one he had ever known she was so wholly unlike mary and rose and annie that comparison between them was impossible she was miss de vere maud he called her to himself and the name was beginning to sound sweetly to him as he daily grew more and more intimate with the queenly creature who bore it he had buried his pale proud-faced but loving mary he had given up the gentle annie and surely he might think of maud de vere if he chose and the sight of her sitting there before him with the rich colour in her cheek and the southern fire in her eyes stirred strange feelings in his heart and made him so forgetful of what the judge was saying to him that the old man at last rose and walked away leaving the two young people alone together tom had never talked much to maud except upon sick-room topics and he felt anxious to know if her mind corresponded with her face and form here was a good opportunity for testing her mental powers and in the long earnest conversation which ensued concerning men and books and politics tom sifted her thoroughly 
experiencing that pleasure which men of cultivation always experience when thrown in contact with a woman whose intelligence and endowments are equal to their own maud's education had not been a superficial one nor had it ceased with her leaving school in her room at home there was a small library of choice books which she read and studied each day together with her brother charlie whose education she superintended few persons north or south were better acquainted with the incidents and progress of the war than she was she had watched it from its beginning and with her father from whom she had inherited her superior mind she had held many earnest argumentative discussions concerning the right and wrong of secession maud had opposed it from the first but her father had thought differently and carrying out his principles had lost his life in the first battle of bull run maud spoke of him to tom and her fine eyes were full of tears as she told of the dark terrible days which preceded and followed the news of his death the ball which struck him down went further than that it killed mother too and made us orphans maud said and something in the tone of her voice and the expression of her face puzzled tom just as it had many times before and carried him back to bull run where it seemed to him he had seen a face like maud de vere's was your father killed in battle tom asked and maud replied no sir that is he did not die in the battlefield he was wounded and crawled away into the woods where they found him dead sitting against a tree with a little union drummer boy lying right beside him and father's handkerchief bound round the poor bleeding stumps for the little hands were both shot away i've thought of that boy so often maud said and cried for him so much i know father was kind to him for the little fellow was nestled close to him arthur said he was there and found my father though he did not at first recognize him as it was a number of years since he had seen him tom was growing both interested and excited he was beginning to find the key to that familiar look in maud de vere's face and coming close to her he said were any prisoners taken near your father miss de vere union prisoners i mean yes maud replied arthur was a private then and with another soldier was prowling through the woods when they came upon father and two union soldiers near him one a boy arthur said and one an officer whose ankle had been sprained in their eagerness to capture somebody they forgot my father and carried off the man and boy then they went back and arthur found by some papers in the dead soldier's pocket that it was father and he had him decently buried at manassas with the little boy i liked arthur for that i would never have forgiven him if he left that child in the woods when the war is over i am going to find the graves she was not weeping now but her eyes had in them a strange glitter as they looked far off in the distance as if in quest of those two graves maud de vere tom carleton said and at the sound maud started and blushed scarlet you must forgive me if i call you maud this once it's for the sake of your noble father by whose side i stood when the spirit left his body and went after that of the little drummer boy whose bleeding stumps were bound in your father's handkerchief i remember it well i had sprained my ankle and with a lad of my company was trying to escape when i heard the sound of some one singing that glorious chant of our church peace on earth good will toward men it sounded strangely there amid the dead and dying who had killed each other but there was peace between the confederate captain and the federal boy as they sang the familiar words as well as we could we cared for him i wiped the blood from your father's wound and the boy brought him water from the brook while he talked of his home in north carolina of his children who would never see him again and of nelly his wife 
it comes back to me with perfect distinctness and it is your father's look in your eyes and face which has puzzled me so much two soldiers wearing the southern grey came up and captured us and we were taken to richmond surely miss de vere it is a special providence which has brought me at last to you the daughter of that man and made you the guardian angel who has stood between me and recapture there is a meaning in it if we could only find it tom's fine eyes were bent upon maud and in his excitement he had grasped her hand which did not lie as cold and pulseless in his as an hour before it had lain in arthur's it throbbed and quivered now but clung to tom's with a firm hold which was not relaxed even when arthur came up his face growing dark and threatening as he saw the position of the two maud did not care for arthur then or think what that look in tom's kindling eyes might mean she only remembered that the man whose hand held hers so firmly had ministered to her dying father had held the cup of water to his parched lip had wiped the flowing blood from his face and spoken to him kindly words of sympathy here was the answer to her prayer that god would send her somebody who could tell her of her father's last minutes that somebody had come and in her gratitude to him she could almost have knelt and worshipped him oh arthur she cried captain carleton is the very man you and joe newell captured at bull run he was with father when he died he took care of him and was so kind until you came and took him and maud's eyes flashed with anything but affection upon her lover who for a moment could not speak for his surprise curiously he looked at tom seeking for something on which to fasten a doubt for he did not wish maud to have a cause for gratitude to the northern officer but the longer he gazed the less he doubted the face of the lame officer in the virginia woods came up distinctly before him and was too much like the face confronting him to admit of a mistake especially after maud repeated the substance of what she had heard from captain carleton arthur was convinced and as maud dropped tom's hand he took it in his and said it is very strange that my first prize over whose capture i felt so proud should fall again into my power but this time you are safe i reckon i am older than i was three years ago and not quite so thirsty for a yankee's blood you did maud's father good service it seems and to prove that we rebels can be grateful and generous even to our foes i will take you under my protection as one of my party when i escort maud home to tennessee as i intend doing in a few days maud's face was white with passion as she listened to this patronizing speech which had in it so much of assumed superiority over the man who smiled a very peculiar kind of smile as he bowed his acknowledgment of arthur's kind attentions not a hint was there that maud was set in front of the arrangement that for tom's sake she had pledged herself to one whose inferiority never struck her so painfully as now when she saw him side by side with captain carleton arthur did not care to have captain carleton know how much he was indebted to maud for his present pleasant quarters and his prospect of a safe transfer to the hills of tennessee but tom though never suspecting the whole truth did know that his gratitude for past and present kindness received from that southern family was mainly due to maud whom he admired more and more as the days wore on and he learned to know her intimately the shy reserve which since his convalescence she had manifested toward him passed with the knowledge that he had stood by her dying father and she treated him as a friend with whom she had been acquainted all her life long occasionally as something in tom's manner made her think that but for arthur she might perhaps in time bear that relation toward him which mary williams had borne she felt a fierce throb of pain and a sense of such utter desolation that she involuntarily rebelled against the life before her but maud was a brave sensible girl 
she had chosen her lot she reasoned and she would abide by it and make arthur as happy as she could he was fulfilling his part of the contract well as was proven by the terror-stricken creature whom he had found hiding on the plantation and had brought to hetty's cabin where he now lay so weak that it was impossible to take him along on that journey to tennessee his time will come by and by arthur said when maud expressed anxiety for him i'll land him safely at your uncle paul's some night when you least expect it my business now is with you and your yankee captain maud had asked that for the present nothing should be said with regard to their engagement and so though the judge suspected that some definite arrangement had been made between his son and maud he did not know for certain even when she stood before him attired for the journey the judge was sorry to part with maud and he was sorry to part with tom he liked him because he was a gentleman if he was a yankee and because his father had sent seth back poor seth with his free papers in his coffin and because he had been kind to maud's father and married mary williams of the charleston williamses and could smoke a cob pipe and enjoy it these were the things which recommended tom to the old man who shook his hand warmly at parting saying to him i hate northern dogs mostly but hanged if i don't like you may you get safely home and if you do my advice is to stay there and tell the rest of em to do the same they can't whip us no by george they can't even if they have got some advantage the papers say it was all a strategical trap and we'd rather you'd have the places than not you can't take richmond no sir we will die in the last ditch every mother's son of us and what is left will set the town on fire and let it go to thunder the old judge was waxing very eloquent for a man who had one union soldier recruiting in hetty's cabin and was bidding good-bye to another but consistency was no part of war politics and he rambled on until arthur cut him short by saying they could wait no longer with arthur as a safeguard in case of an attack from confederates and tom carleton in case of an assault from the unionists maud felt perfectly secure and in quiet and safety she accomplished her journey and was welcomed with open arms by paul haverhill and charlie arthur could only stop for a day among the hills he might be ordered back to his regiment at any time and if he got that other chap through he must bestir himself he said and so he bade good-bye to maud in whom he had implicit faith and whose sober quiet demeanour he tried to attribute to her sorrow at parting with him she does like me some and by and by she will like me better he said as he went his way leaving her standing in the doorway of her uncle's house her face very pale and her hands pressed closely together as if forcing back some bitter thought or silent pain turning once ere the winding road hid her from view arthur kissed his hand to her gaily while with a wave of her handkerchief she re-entered the house and neither guessed nor dreamed how or when they would meet again End of chapters thirty and thirty one